Welcome to the Eating Habits for Life podcast. I'm Kate Johnston, certified habit coach, wife, stepmom, and former physician assistant. I help career women finally break free from their unhealthy eating habits. If you're ready to start feeling your best, then I can show you how. Let's go. Hi there, welcome to the podcast. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I typically write out a really detailed outline before I do my podcast, and this time I decided to not do that. (laughs) So we are going to be talking about getting out of the dieting cycle today. So if you're having trouble getting out of that dieting cycle, you'll understand why in this episode. In fact, America in general, and really the world in general, haven't been able to get out of the dieting cycle either. So it's no surprise if you or just in general, the individual is having difficulty as well. So dieting is really um, important to talk about when it comes to eating habits, because I have noticed that over the years, the term dieting actually doesn't necessarily mean something super restrictive and crazy, right? I am going to go through some of the wacky diets that I did um, see when I was browsing on the internet with you just to sort of show you how these are not healthy and just because it's kind of interesting to see what society has sort of gone through and what diets America has come up with over the years. And then we're going to get into how to actually get out of that dieting cycle. So with dieting and eating habits, the one thing I do want to note is that sometimes the term diet refers to just simply what you're eating, okay? So diet doesn't necessarily have to be this negative, fad, restrictive diet. Diet, the term, also just simply means what you're eating as well. So you can have a healthy diet, for example, and this doesn't mean that you are restricting and um, doing things that are extreme for the purposes of drastic weight loss, okay? So I just want to differentiate between the two. So the definition I found that I liked um, as far as the dieting that I'm really kind of referring to in this podcast episode and that people typically refer to was from the Oxford Dictionary. And I looked at several, um, but some of them were more that sort of healthier version where you um, your diet is just what you're eating. But basically, the Oxford Dictionary says, and to quote them, I did write this down, um, restrict oneself to small amounts or special kinds of food in order to lose weight. Okay, so that's the diet that we're used to, right, as far as the term goes. So there are several (laughs) diets that... I read about that were really quite interesting. Some of these I already knew about, um, and you'll recognize them as well. But the very first popular diet was actually back in 1863. And this one was 
named the Banting Diet, and it was named after this gentleman, William Banting. And this basically was a low-carb, low-calorie diet that caused him to lose a significant amount of weight. So he wrote about it to tell others about this, okay? So this was one of the earlier ones that I found. Then in 1888, there was a doctor, Dr. Salisbury, who came up with the Salisbury method. And this actually was a good reason that he came up with this one. So he thought that food was the key to better health and that certain foods would help to cure illnesses. Interestingly, though, the foods that he thought you should be eating um I don't think you'd find very appetizing. So he thought that meat patties were health foods and that they could actually cure illnesses. So I think meat is definitely a food that you don't want to exclude from your diet unless you have particular reasons for excluding it. Um, if you are a vegan or vegetarian, but he thought that meat patties would actually cure civil war soldiers from illnesses that they were suffering during the war. And he thought that vegetables and fruit were actually bad for you. So this is an interesting and sort of backward way of looking at vegetables and fruit. So in the 1930s is kind of when some um, more specific diets were formed. So in the 1930s, you had the grapefruit diet. So this was also known as the Hollywood diet. And this one consisted of eating a grapefruit at each meal, along with some very healthy foods like protein-rich foods as well as vegetables and sugar and grains and just basically sugary um, foods and carbohydrates were considered to be less healthy, and so the grapefruit diet suggested that you avoid these foods. So this diet did claim that you could lose a pound of weight each day, and it became very popular because of that claim, right? Unfortunately, there was no evidence to actually support that, though. So this next one, I think, was a little bit crazy. This one is a diet that came about in 1934, and it was called the bananas and skim milk diet. So two things that are considered pretty healthy, right? So this one was a gentleman named Dr. Harrop Jr. And this diet had you eating four bananas and drinking three glasses of skim milk a day and nothing else. So this gentleman claimed that this diet could help someone lose up to 10 pounds in just two weeks. And you could see why, because this is really significant calorie restriction here. And yes, bananas and skim milk are not unhealthy foods and probably some good things that you could include in your diet, certainly the, the bananas. However, Restricting yourself to just these two things is a terrible idea. You are eliminating so many nutrients and protein is a big one that you're eliminating, but also healthy fats and 
lots of other things that you really don't need or want to be eliminating from your diet because all the nutrients and even the calories that you get from all the different foods are crucial to survival. They're crucial to your body actually being able to function and survive, but also to function well. And as a career woman, you want your body to be able to function well, right? You want to be able to sort of get through your day with energy and be able to critically think so that you can problem solve and do the things that you need to do to accomplish the tasks that you need to accomplish, right? So then in the 1950s, there was another diet that actually, I think this one was really interesting because it was pretty popular and it's, I think, very odd. So this was called the cabbage soup diet. And no one really knows who came out with this diet initially, but it, it involves eating cabbage soup um, made with some other low-calorie vegetables, so it's not just purely cabbage. But people claimed that you could lose up to 17 pounds a week on this diet. And so again, this was one that came out in the 50s, but then it was popular enough to actually come out again in the 1980s. And when it came out in the 1980s, it was known as the Dolly Parton diet. And because I think since no one really knew who initiated this diet in the first place, Dolly Parton was, um, her name was, was put on this, I'm guessing because she probably did this diet herself and maybe then told people about her weight loss from it, right? So then after the 1980s, it reappeared again in 1995. So again, this is a diet consisting of cabbage soup. <laughs> so this diet was very popular somehow. Um, even doctors were prescribing this diet to their patients to lose weight quickly, especially before heart surgery. Okay, so this is crazy, right? So some people today even still do this diet, apparently, from what I read. Um, and weight loss can occur very, very quickly from this, but probably not the most healthy way to go about it. All right, so next is 1961 when Weight Watchers came out. So I'm sure you know this diet, but we have to give credit to Jean Nadech. Hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly. So interestingly, she started this diet because she was inviting friends over to her home in New York City to discuss losing weight. And she had some ideas about weight loss and these ideas just sort of took off. So she founded Weight Watchers a couple of years later and it is now a multi, at least a multi-million dollar company, probably even, or potentially even a multi-billion dollar company. I'm not even sure. Um, but obviously a very, very popular diet where you don't necessarily um, focus on specific foods in the sense of eating or not eating, but you focus more on the points that are given to each of these foods. And you don't really focus so much on the calories, but like I said, you focus on more on the points. But certainly the points that are given to the food depend upon 
the health benefits of the food and the calories of the food. So whether or not this diet is um, super effective or super healthy, I think really depends upon what foods the individual is choosing to eat to use for their points. All right. So the next diet (laughs) might sound a little bit um, fun to some people, but in the 1970s, we had some um, sort of an increase in, in dieting here. And probably because Weight Watchers really was a big one and got on TV, I'm sure they started advertising heavily on TV and more and more people in the decades of the 1950s and 60s and 70s, 70s were watching TVs and reading magazines and things like that. So you saw a lot of marketing for these things. So in the 70s, there were a few diets that came out, uh, the wine and eggs diet. So the wine part might seem kind of fun to some, but basically this one was published in Vogue in 1977, Vogue meaning the magazine, and breakfast included a hard-boiled egg, a glass of white wine, and a cup of black coffee. So could you imagine eating just one hard-boiled egg and a glass of wine in the morning? I don't know about you, but I'd be really tipsy (laughs) with only eating one hard-boiled egg. And in the morning, you're typically very dehydrated as well. And then you top that off with a cup of black coffee. So you sort of get that depressant with the wine and then the stimulant with the black coffee. I don't know that that's really a great idea. So lunch (laughs) was interesting. This was bumped up to two hard-boiled eggs, two glasses of wine, and a cup of black coffee. Dinner, you could add in a little bit of food besides the egg, and that was a five-ounce steak, the remainder of the bottle of wine, which would be about a glass, and black coffee. So this is a terrible diet. Do not try this diet at all. It basically would probably leave most people feeling buzzed or even drunk all day. They are not getting enough calories from food by any means and certainly not getting the nutrients they need. So not a good idea. This is probably the worst one that I um, have listed so far. So next would be the slim fast diet. You've probably heard of this, but this includes lots of shakes. So a shake for breakfast, a shake for lunch, and then either a shake for dinner or something else for dinner. But basically the shakes were really sort of focused for breakfast and lunch. And people still do these, um, these shakes. You see them sometimes in grocery stores. But this diet is probably good for if you um, (laughs) don't mind having diarrhea all day because I imagine that the fluids go through you pretty quickly. All right, so the next one in the 70s that I found was the sugar diet. (laughs) So this was all due to marketing. So someone was marketing or a company was marketing sugar as an appetite suppressant. So that's probably, it was probably marketed by sugar companies, right? They want you to to buy more of their product, their sugary products. So they started saying good things about sugar, saying it was an appetite suppressant. 
So this would encourage people at that time, or at least a small group of people, to eat more sugar. (laughs) So this is appealing to Lots of people, of course, because who doesn't want to eat treats, right? So if someone is telling you, especially companies, that sugar is actually good for you and could potentially help you lose weight, how fun is that? Just like the wine and eggs diet, right? Unfortunately, this diet is not a good idea. And I think this diet probably um, was mostly working on people that were very gullible, but not necessarily. So this just really shows the influence of companies and marketing and how we can actually take these companies' authority for truth and what they say for truth, right? And they can sort of abuse their authority. And and they, they know that the individual is looking at a company to tell them the truth. And so when they blatantly will turn things so that it looks like um, the product they're selling is really good for people, but it's really terrible to be claiming that sugar is actually good for you as far as dieting and and an appetite suppressant, this is just not a honest or ethical thing. All right, so in the 80s, a few popular diets came out as well. Jenny Craig was one of them. Um, She actually started this in Australia the year I was born in 1983, um, and it became more popular here in the U.S. in 1985. And then there was the Beverly Hills diet in the early 80s as well. So this one was mostly or I think entirely fruit for the first 35 days. So probably not going to leave you feeling very well during that first 35 days. Also, um, that's a lot of fiber. (laughs) So I don't know how that panned out as far as um, gastrointestinal effects. All right, so there are tons of diets after that, but I'm not going to go through all of them. I just wanted to sort of show you how wacky some of these diets have been over the years. And what I found was that there were, each with each decade, more and more diets coming out. They're just becoming more and more popular, right? And lots of money, like I said, is spent on advertising, like TV, the radio, magazines, So now it's on social media oftentimes as well, right? So you also have diet pills and potions and powders out there. So it has just sort of branched off and really um, infiltrated a lot of of our, what we're seeing and a lot of um, society now, right? So The thing with dieting is that it is very appealing. So it's very easy to see why people can get into the dieting cycle, right? So there's quick weight loss typically associated with a lot of these diets, not all of them, or substantial weight loss in a relatively short period of time, right? As career women, in particular, we want quick results and people in general want quick results, right? So if we're trying to lose weight, but especially as career women, we kind of want things done quickly, right? We want we want to sort of go all in and get those results. 
And that's why we can end up getting stuck in that dieting cycle. We can see that it works and then our brain goes, oh, that's great. I lost 10 pounds in just three or four weeks. And unfortunately, that 10 pounds can come back very quickly. Not for everyone, but a lot of times it does. But the more quickly you lose weight or the the more significant amount of weight that's lost in a relatively short time, the more likely that your brain is not going to be able to adjust to that quick weight loss or that super substantial weight loss in a relatively short period of time. And it's going to go right back into the eating habits that you feel more comfortable with. That's partly because you're not addressing the thoughts and feelings going on that are driving the eating habits. You're only really addressing that action part of it for a short period of time, right? You're doing the things you need to do as far as the actions or the behaviors, but not necessarily working on the thought processes along the way and the mindset. And that's why a lot of diets do ultimately end up requiring you to stay stuck in that dieting cycle. So a lot of reasons why you can get into that dieting cycle too is because there's women around you talking about their dieting and what diets they're on. And and this can really influence you. So there's you know, people at work, friends outside of work, right? Even maybe family members that are talking about the newest thing that they're trying as far as losing weight and dieting and what diets have worked for them. And it sort of makes you think, oh, maybe I'll try that diet, especially if someone's doing it and they might ask you, hey, do you want to do this diet with me? Right? So so human beings are very social creatures and we are very easily influenced by what others are doing. And that can include strangers, but more so even people that are close to us, people that are not strangers. So colleagues, friends, family members. So this is another reason why you can really get stuck in that dieting cycle. There are lots of downsides to a lot of these diets, okay? Most are not sustainable and can even lead to health problems. Some can even be quite dangerous. Most of them are not enjoyable either. So I don't know about you, but I don't think I really want to eat hard-boiled eggs for <laughs> for pretty much every meal. Um Even the sugar diet to me does not sound appealing at all. I don't like sugar that much to eat it all the time. The cabbage soup diet, no thanks. I like vegetables. I like soup. I like cabbage. I don't think I want to be doing cabbage soup all the time. Bananas and skim milk, absolutely not. It's tough for me to get through one banana. Um, I can't imagine eating four of them, right? So... A lot of times these are not enjoyable, and some of these are extreme, I get it, but a lot of them, because they are so restrictive as far as calories in order to get that quick weight loss, they're left making you feel really poorly physically and also mentally. It's, it's a big mental challenge to be hungry and be restricting yourself so significantly that you're overly hungry. And when you're overly hungry, what can happen here is that 
your more primitive part of your brain, that more survival part kicks in is just, and is just like, just give me the food. I can't take this anymore. So dieting is so extreme that it can be dangerous. It can cause you to give up very, very quickly or fall off the wagon very, very quickly and dramatically and permanently, or at least until you want to try the dieting again, right? You will slip back a lot of times to prior eating habits when these changes are so significant because your brain can't handle those quick, drastic changes. Your brain has been doing things a certain way for so many years, right? And that's not to say that you can't change it. You absolutely can change it, but you have to do so in a smarter way. And that means doing things less drastically. It means staying one step ahead of your brain, You're really using your prefrontal cortex, that higher level part of your brain, to stay ahead of the more primitive part of the brain, which is just going to want those quick results. It's more about that instant gratification as far as the weight loss. And also, when you do start to get hungry, it's all about that instant gratification with getting those hunger signals to go away. So You want things to be more gradual. You don't want the extremes. You want to sort of keep things in the middle. And that's a really controlled way of going about it. And when you're controlled, you're using your prefrontal cortex, that higher level or higher functioning part of the brain. So you're essentially, I like to think of it as staying one step ahead of your brain in general because you're you're, you're leading with that higher functioning part rather than that more primitive part, right? So what happens with that dieting cycle is that you might lose that weight quickly. That feels really good. That feels really rewarding to your brain. But then you might gain that weight back. In fact, a lot of times that's what ends up happening. And then because your brain remembers, oh yeah, that diet, that one diet worked for me before. I'm going to do that again. Or maybe you'll try a different one and you'll do it again and you might have success again. But then again, what's going to happen is potentially you're going to slip back and go back to those prior eating habits. Or maybe you don't go completely back, but maybe you go mostly back and you gain most of the weight back, right? Unfortunately, this then makes you start to lose confidence in yourself over time. And this is why that dieting cycle is not great either, because you can have these successes, these short-term successes, but then you can also have these failures that make you start to lose confidence in yourself and just start to make you really feel poorly about yourself and your capabilities, right? So that's one of the benefits of changing your eating habits in a more controlled, sustainable way because it's easier to do in the sense that you're not putting in all this huge physical and mental and emotional effort and you're not 
getting drained emotionally and feeling like you're failing. You're not losing confidence with each failure. You're actually just slowly starting to gain more and more and more confidence. And the nice thing about changing your eating habits is that you're not eliminating foods that you enjoy. You're not eliminating entire food groups. It's not about never eating chocolate again. It's not about never eating fried food again. It's not about not eating takeout, right? It's about being in control and not feeling terrible along the way in in the process, all right? So how exactly do you get out of that dieting cycle then? The first thing really was just listening to this podcast episode, okay? So just that awareness and that knowledge of why The dieting cycle is a cycle that you'll end up getting stuck in like a habit and it's not a good cycle to stay in, right? It's not going to leave you feeling good. It's not very effective long-term and yeah, you get those short-term gains very, very quickly, but really when you're looking at that long game, you're not doing yourself any favors. So, So having that awareness is key, okay? Then what you're going to want to do to get out of that dieting cycle is to make that commitment to yourself that you do want to think about the long term, okay? So if you do want to make think about the long term, then you have to commit to being patient. <laughs> so that's really the next step to get out of that dieting cycle is to commit to being patient. And patient doesn't mean, you know, losing 20 pounds in, and taking two years to do it. Patient just means not expecting 20 pounds of weight loss in three weeks. So if you understand that you need to have some patience in order to get those results that you've been looking for, and you make that commitment to yourself to have some patience, and you even get excited about those long-term results and the fact that changing your eating habits is going to get you where you want to be, having patience is going to seem easy, right? Because if you can focus on those long-term results and the fact that you're going to be way more likely to reach your end results and keep those results, that's very exciting. Then the next thing that you're going to have to do to get out of that dieting cycle is to realize that you also need to work on the thoughts and the feelings behind the actions. So what this means is that just understanding that it's not just the actions, it's just not the to-do list as far as um, eating goes. It's also the thoughts and the feelings behind. So basically the triggers, what's triggering you to eat certain foods? What's what's going to be good for motivating you to eat more of the foods that are really good for you and less of the foods that are maybe holding you back from reaching your health and body goals, right? So the thoughts and the feelings are always going to be the 
factors that drive your actions. And in order to change your actions or your behaviors, you need to work on those thoughts and feelings behind that. So someone just telling you what to eat and what not to eat is not going to be effective. Someone helping you to see all the underlying reasons of why you're doing the things that you're doing as far as eating certain foods and maybe um, eating certain amounts of foods is going to be key. Otherwise, you can put in all that effort to try to eat what you think you should eat and not eat what you um, are trying to avoid. But unless you really understand what it is that was causing all that and address those underlying issues or or those triggers, you're not going to be able to get out of that dieting cycle. The dieting cycle primarily focuses on the action part of it. It doesn't take everything into account, the thoughts and the feelings and the actions. And that's why changing your eating habits is going to be so much more effective for you long term because it helps to address the thoughts and the feelings behind the actions. And that's what I help people with inside food freedom. It's not telling you what to eat, what to avoid. It is also helping you with the thoughts and the feelings and all the underlying things and triggers behind your actions and addressing those so that those are no longer issues and challenges that cause you to slip back to your bad eating habits, right? All right, so that's what I have for you. This episode was actually quite longer than my typical ones. And so hopefully you found this episode interesting and it didn't go too poorly as far as me stumbling over words. So that's a good thing. Maybe I'll start doing more of them like this. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and I'll talk with you soon. Hey, if you're ready to free yourself from your bad eating habits, then I invite you to join me inside Food Freedom, my membership made specifically for career women who want control of their eating habits without having to rely on willpower. To learn more, head on over to katemjohnston.com forward slash coaching. I'll see you there.